The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It is a pleasure to have you here, but it is not a pleasure for me to be here in this current geographic area where I'm thrilled to be hosting this podcast in the abstract. Let me tell you, being here in the city of Miami is a sweltering hellscape. It is so hot here. I'm going to die. This is brutal. This is just a, I mean, I've lived in Miami my whole life. All right. Don't get me wrong. Like this is not me being a new entrant to the, to the humidity soaked mess that is Miami. But this year in particular, this early in the calendar, for it to just be like dripping wet the moment you step out of your door kind of humidity. Like we don't even get to say here in Miami, it's it's hot. Oh, but it's a dry heat. No, it is not a dry heat. It is a wet, wet, hot American heat here in Miami. And I I, I cannot bear it much longer, but at least I am I'm joined in good company. Let's go ahead and bring on our co-host this week, Elisa Rockdog. Elisa, is Texas a similar vibe right now meteorologically like out of the frying pan into the seventh eighth circle <laughs> of i don't know it's it and it's it it's sticky it's bad it's sticky. um um these uh let, let, let me see let me see i don't know what your highs are like coming up but i am seeing all of the triple digit temperatures mm. and that's not even the feels like you grew up in Miami, so you know that the the mercury temperature, the actual honest to God temperature in Miami is always misleading, right? Because it's oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, it's it's 91. You know, that's you know, it's you gotta wear shorts today and a short sleeve shirt, but it's gonna feel good. And then you yeah. get outside and it feels like it's three hundred degrees because that humidity just torches you. So like, you know, a Miami ninety one is like an Arizona one fifteen. Is is it's real bad. It's really sticky. The yeah. mosquito situation is out of control. Uh, so that's bad. Uh, everybody, uh, please take care of all of your standing water situations to make mm. sure that we don't we don't have like a like a dengue situation <laughs> happening and everything. The summer summer is sweltering. Stay hydrated. Um, the spritz down some clothes with a light mist of water and shove them in the freezer. So that when Ooh. you get back from your mental oh. health walk, you can just change into something fresh. I don't know, man. It's hard out here. I we am down with that. That sounds terrific. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dabble in those dark arts later. That is well, I didn't even realize growing up in Miami how different we are until I moved to D to New York for the first time. And like oh. I brought like, you know, and I'm seeing I'm meeting like my roommates who are from the Northeast, and I take out of my bag my uh, industrial sized container of gold bond powder. And they were just like, what is that? I was like, you don't like put gold bond, like all up in your insides to, you know, keep from the stickiness from being too sticky. And they looked at me like I had leprosy. Like that, I found out that day. Apparently, that's just a Miami or like humidity thing. No, and and what what's great is growing up, uh, born and raised in Puerto Rico, and like my mom. And my grandmother and like so many women of my family always carried hand fans with them. Mm. And I've, I've sort of started, you know, to, to absorb becoming my mother in, in my thirties now, but like, you know, getting, getting all of like the good life hacks and like, honestly, carrying a hand fan has been so clutch. And everybody looks at me like I'm a sorceress when I pull that <laughs> thing out, like in the middle of summer and I just start going and they're like, Oh, what? That's brilliant. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
just you how have we to, do. You got to fully commit to the hand fan lifestyle, though. If you're going to whip out one of those, you better have a good super villain quip oh. at the ready. Just, you know, throw that out and be like, to whack it, too. And it has to I want all of the puppies. <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to exactly. give it a good swack. You have to give it a good swack. I actually exactly have one, like, right. for, for, for the viewers and listeners at home that, that don't get to witness the magic, I'm actually pointing out one of my many hand fans that I have specifically for um my makeup purposes so i have a hand fence in there i got one in my purse i got one in another purse i got hand <laughs> fans everywhere i see producer lauren hand fanning herself in the green room as we speak we're everybody's come into that hashtag hand fan life before we get into our proceedings elisa i want to throw this at you okay i have for you a crazy music stat okay. all right i'm just Static coming out with this like I, I, I love to just kind of find these, like somebody throws them at me on Twitter and I found one. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to hit Elisa with this. Going to blow her mind with her crazy music, music stat. What's that? You're the haverstro of the music industry. Let's oh, go. absolutely. I want you to just emotionally prepare yourself. All right. Like if you need to, oh, you know, if you need to like get hydrated, you know, stretch out a little bit, kind of get the joints working, whatever you got to do, because this is a crazy music stat. All right. Brace yourself. From Eric Alper on Twitter. Since 2014, there are only two songs that have made the top five on the Billboard Hot 100 that had a single solo artist, writer, and producer that were all the same person. So one person, solo artist, writer, producer, and they were that they're it. Okay, and only, and since 2014, only two songs have made the top five of the Hot 100 that fit that description. All right. Ooh. The first one is Take Me to Church by Hosier. Yeah. Oh, wrote it, okay. produced it, Producer started it. it. Okay, cool, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. You know, one-man operation. The second one, brace yourself, is Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. Good for her. <laughs> like the, this whole, this whole co- like, last couple of weeks, I've been going, you know what? Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> yeah, because she, she she just the entered the Billboard Hot 100 at number four, which I think is higher than that song did when it was did. a thing in the 80s. It's it's, it's brilliant to me. Um, the the ability and and of course you probably like rail about this whole situation about like hey the 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 legal system needs to catch up with the idea that like people are rediscovering this music in like very very fun and novel ways that may or may not be legal <laughs> well there's that <laughs> not necessarily fair use but like the the idea of as as an artist um in my 30s and uh, and r- running up that hill myself, be <laughs> hurt from running Just up that hill myself. It gives making a me- deal with God. <laughs> I would switch our places. So I'm <laughs> I'm very heartened by the idea that I could create something now, and that with the way that media has gone nowadays, with everything being so much more accessible, there is the possibility of something that I create now actually getting new life in 20, 30, 40 years. And that's a really cool thought. It's it's yeah. magnificent. And it makes me happy for a lot of these old creators who can you know see their music take on a second life and just getting a, a whole new generation just appreciating uh you know the, the stuff from the eras that came before him it's it's so awesome it's so pure and in Kate Bush's case has she like made any public appearances i haven't seen her anywhere i just kind of imagine her just kind of staying in her house with her hand fan just kind of you know just fanning herself oh i'm the biggest artist in the world and just i'm so happy for her I doubt it. It's just, it's just probably just like sitting at home and like probably in like a cool castle somewhere. Yeah, um, she definitely lives in a castle for sure. Get, with you know that that got a phone call, you know, or like gets like a text from somebody being like, "Hey, Stranger Things, huh?" She's like, "What? <laughs> what's the, what's, in, what's, what's an, an eleven? <laughs> just like completely being like, wait, I'm what? I'm fit." Hmm? Why am I hearing my song on the radio again? This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? I'm the biggest artist in the world. Okay. Um, well, 
Speaking of awesome, prestigious artists, uh, thrilled for the guests that we got coming up in uh, the second half of this show. One of my favorites um, been, I I still have uh, the, the unclassified album just constantly playing on loop. You always have those albums from your, you know, your, your, your formative years that still find their ways into the algorithms on your playlist. And, and, his work is very much there. Our guest coming up in the second segment is Robert Randolph, renowned pedal steel guitarist. And uh, he's going to be talking about the Juneteenth Unity Fest block party and concert happening in Brooklyn on June 19th. The event was online last year. This is going to be the first live in-person version of the event, and it's going to be fantastic. Can't wait to talk to all of him about it. And just, I, I for one, I, I got so many like kind of just foundational Robert Randolph, like who are you questions <laughs> that I hope he doesn't just get like annoyed by them. But like, I for one am interested in knowing like how he got into the pedal steel guitar when I imagine mm-hmm. so many other folks in his genre or just in mainstream music opt for the handheld version. For those of you who don't know, a pedal steel guitar, the best way I could describe it is what if guitar could desk? <laughs> what if guitar desk? What if guitar desk? Pedal steel. Um, it and I mean, it. I couldn't even tell you like what all the pedals do and like what they're doing up there, but it functions the same way as a guitar, and it has a really cool, unique sound that if you ever hear a pedal steel guitar on a record, you know it because it oh, doesn't yeah. sound like the the thing you just like wrap around your your shoulders and you know, just get to strumming. It's a, it's a really cool, unique sound. And he plays the crap out of it. And I just, I love hearing, I'm so excited just to hear (laughs) about uh, just everything that he does, his, his background, how he got to where he is. And of course, to hear all about Juneteenth Unity Fest, what a cool event this is going to be with, you know, Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday. This is landing on Father's Day. So much cool stuff going on with that. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm fanboying big time over here. I know you're excited too. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah. This is going to be great stuff. A lot of great music news generally though. Like I'm just in a, in a fabulous good mood, you know, like you and I, at least since we've known each other, we've always been you know, Grammy fans. We do the Grammy pool thing. And whenever there's Grammy news, I want to talk to you about it. And this uh, particular Grammy news definitely made me go, I got to talk to Elisa about this yes. because uh, the Grammys just announced that starting at next year's Grammy Awards for 2023, uh, they're going to be unveiling some new categories, um, including and file this under it's about G darn time mm. here. They're finally adding a songwriter of the year category. I mean, you know, about... <sighs> 50 years overdue. We've only been screaming for this forever. You have a producer of the year category. Why don't you have a songwriter of the year? Finally. But I think the category that you're most excited about, Rock Doc, I'll let you tell them about it. Yes. um, There is now going to be a category specifically for uh, video games, for music written for video games. Um, Now, granted, this is not the first time the video games have appeared on the Grammys. Um, Baba Yetu from Civ, I think, 4, was a theme that was nominated for Best Instrumental Arrangement Accompanying Vocalist category. Um, And then also the Journey soundtrack was nominated for Best Score, but it... It lost to Trent Reznor and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, which womp womp. But <laughs> right into a little bit of a buzzsaw there. <laughs> like I mean, video games have been like dipping their their toe into the Grammys, and now it's like finally they're they're getting their due, which is very interesting. It's a welcome development, and you would know this better than most folks from working in the industry that the music that's coming out of that particular medium, like this, ain't chip tunes anymore there's full-blown orchestras going into some of this work it's just as ambitious as music getting made for film and because the video game industry is larger than even the film industry these days more ears are arguably listening to video game music than film music so why not have a grammy category for it to wit um the the intersection of video game music and the wider music industry is is now like enmeshed more than ever um there's a teenage mutant turtle the Ninja, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game coming out, and um, they just announced that like a couple of members of Wu Tang are just out on the song, like soundtrack for this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, um, and 
soundtracks are getting vinyl releases and like it is its own cottage industry um just making bang and banging tunes for video games these days and i'm glad that like these folks are actually gonna maybe get some wider music industry do at the grammys that's really cool good to see them rewarded good to see them recognized what and i think this is a good first step for the the music industry's acknowledgement of the gaming industry and the impact that gaming has towards music but i think it is just a first step i think in 10 15 years from now there has to be a wider discussion of not just one category for mm. music and video games but multiple i think um i think we have to see this as any other medium that's going to get multiple grammy categories i think particular performances by recording artists in musical in, in a video game music Ooh. performances should be recognized producers um this this award that's being awarded in 2023 is for the score soundtrack how about best individual song for a video ah. game in the same way that we have a best individual song for motion pictures there's a there's a lot of space to implore here explore here and again given the size of the gaming industry and that it's it is the largest of the entertainment industries out there it dwarfs movies and music it it should be acknowledged to that same respect in the Grammys. And I know it takes the Grammys a little bit of time to kind of catch up and things like that, but I think we're we're well into that point. And to me, that's an exciting prospect because you I mean you know better than anybody, Elisa. There's a lot of tremendous music professionals working in that industry who do not get their due by the Recording Academy. Absolutely, and like and just like. I'm already mourning the fact that the Hades soundtrack can't be like retroactively showered <laughs> with a bunch of Grammys. Um, yeah. and, and like, I want that individual song category um, to exist for the Hades soundtrack and, and so many others. Like it's like the, the budgets of video games are like, almost as big if not bigger than a lot of major motion pictures these days so it's it's almost like hey like we're not we're not a bunch of people just making random stuff for an arcade anymore like this is a legitimate like creative artistic huge business industry that needs needs its due dang it well, it needs its due, and and not, and we're not just saying that because, like, oh, they feel disrespected. They need more respect. Like, this has a real economic impact too, because the more that the Grammys can acknowledge the music that's getting made for this medium, the more prestigious it becomes, and the more that the professionals in those industries can be more adequately compensated for the work that they're doing. Because I'm guessing, and you know, you you'd know this, but. I'm guessing that the the average musician that composes something for a video game is probably not making what they would make if they were making a, the same composition for a major motion picture, even though the the labor and the activity is fundamentally similar. And that has nothing to do with anything other than just the fact that we acknowledge one form of media with respect to music to be more prestigious than the other. So when the Grammys starts to acknowledge these categories, starts to tell people in the industry, this music matters, we're going to give them a beautiful gramophone statute, that tells the industry we need to start respecting and compensating the amazing professionals that work in that industry. And some of those amazing professionals that are working in film might start finding their way into video games. And I, for one, would love a John Williams uh, video game soundtrack. So how about that? Yeah. And, and <laughs> I think it also acknowledges the fact that, like, take any jazz artist that's sort of, like, contemporary right now and tell me that they were not inspired by, like, Final Fantasy or, like, anime soundtracks and, like, all of that stuff. Like, I have literally seen YouTube videos about people analyzing, like, did video game music actually like save jazz as a genre <laughs> um, because now you see all of these folks that are now like super inspired by video game music um so i think it's it is high time it's interesting though that it almost feels like the grammys got scared that video game music was about to like win awards in very prestigious categories and it's like ah now you get your own category whoops <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's like, don't, don't touch the fancy stuff yet. Yeah. Well, and before we leave our Grammys discussion, we would be giving this whole topic short shrift if we didn't also recognize a really cool category that's going to be uh, started up with the 2023 Grammys, which is a special merit award 
that will be given out starting next year for best song for social change. Gotta love that. Yeah, that's, uh, um, I I don't think it's going to be like a a traditional category. I think it gets like kind of a separate mention, like a, Mm. you know, like a a Cecil B. DeMille kind of like in the afternoon, they give that one out. (laughs) Well, I bet a lot of these categories that they're going to be given out next year, like best Americana performance is a new one, best spoken word poetry album. A lot of those are going to be like the, uh, the pre telecast ones. I'd love for them for this first Grammys to to put the video game one in there just to kind of welcome so it cool. to the party uh, oh, for the actual Sunday telecast. I bet we could we could get there. Anyway, uh, before we go to break here, um, one of the things that I, I also love to do with Elisa is because, you know, when she's not uh, dazzling us here as with her amazing co-hosting, she's working in this industry as an indie creator wearing many a a rack full of indie creator hats doing all kinds of different things and i love to just kind of check in on you elisa and see (laughs) what's going on with various projects i know you were telling me that you actually had a pretty cool little breakthrough that you're uh doing recently on the acting side and i'd love to kind of talk about that because i think your experience might be informative for other indie creators who are going down a similar path what you've been up to yeah, sure. I, I I love coming here every month because it's almost like it, it it drives me to do something or make something or make some sort of progress because I know you're going to check in on me. I got to um, tell Ryan about something <laughs> like, my, like I have to I have to check in. Um, so I had a really cool experience recently where I do voiceover as well as on camera work from time to time. And I've been looking for representation. Uh, trying to get an agent and I had a meeting with an agent today um, Ooh. Uh, it was really cool it was my very first time doing it I read up a bunch of articles about like what to expect from your agency audition that all flew in and out of my ears um, so I did not feel as prepared but it was like it was a really cool experience because I got to learn a lot about what it is that people look for and how the industry has changed uh, in in some ways. And they sort of let me know that like, hey, like due to the last couple of years, the way that you could get work uh, remotely has increased, but also that means that your competition for roles has increased as, as a voiceover artist because of remote recording and everything. It was a really cool experience. I did some cold reads. I did a monologue. It was a virtual meeting, which... Um, a lot of the advice that I read was based on like in-person agency meetings, but like this agency meeting is due to the pandemic happening on a virtual thing. So it was really weird being in an audition space, like, but still at home. I don't know. It was a lot. Very cool. I'm sure the imposter syndrome sufferer that I'm talking to is going to respond to this with no, I didn't. But I'm sure that you did an excellent job um, and uh, excited to see what comes of it. So from that experience, since nobody has kind of written the book on the pandemic <laughs> audition process yet, oh God. for the creators out there who are maybe getting into that space and maybe have that uh, audition coming down the road, do you have any advice for them on the remote auditions? Yeah, sure. Um, definitely adjust your camera situation make sure that you have it set up so that if you're doing a cold read you have your copy set up in such a way that it can align with your camera sight line pretty well um so that you're you know you're not seen like darting all over the place check check and recheck your audio and your visual if you have an animal that likes to walk across your mixer um, and likes to chew on cables, make sure that they are (laughs) situated properly uh, before the meeting. Um, It's interesting. It's like, it's like be comfortable, but don't be too comfortable because you are going to be kind of in your own space. It almost kind of lures you a little bit into a false sense of security. Um, But when it comes to an agency audition, it's, that's kind of almost a good thing uh, because they they want 
to make money on your behalf. So like they want you to do well at the audition as much as as you have aligned incentives here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's sort of also just like, are you going to be a nightmare to work with? It's like, yes. Can you do the job? Can you read this? Are you an actor? You know, at, at the point that I got the audition, they saw my reels, they saw a headshot and they, weren't freaked out so so like at that point it's not to say that you're in um but it's more of a of a learning experience and wanting to know whether they can work with you and whether you can work with them um and then also take direction on on the fly that's another thing you got to be be able to do so how did you get the audition any advice on that i put myself out there i literally googled um agents (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> agents near me <laughs> you had to sift through like 50 pages of insurance agents but eventually the hottest talent agents near you uh local uh, they're, they're they're waiting now call now um but essentially like going through a list of all of the local agents um and basically figuring out like hey do i need local representation what would it take for me to get like national representation just star local is fine um but like looking at all of the submission requirements and some of them have uh they want different kinds of reels some of them want a resume some of them want headshots some of them want different things depending on the work um there are some of them that they will not even look at you unless you have a referral from an industry professional. That's how like picky they are. It's like they already want to be know, like they already want to know that you've been working and have a network even before taking your email. So it's really good to do your research and and see what all the different requirements are. But basically, once I did that, it was just that just basically became a to do list of stuff I needed to check off and attach to a whole bunch of emails. I just sent out and then, you know, set alarm reminders and then, you know, also look at at the different sites because they will also include things like don't contact us like every week for an answer. Yeah. Like if you if you contact us within six months of your submission, if you haven't heard anything, then like, no. So (laughs) definitely pay attention to those and then just set those little reminders on your phone to follow up until hopefully something bites and in the meantime keep working um and keep hustling so that then when you update your resume you have an excuse to send another email being like hey here's here's a copy of my updated resume i have a couple of more uh titles on here so and that gives oh, you like a reason to oh. give them a bug. so then it's like oh and you've been working i see well hello so <laughs> yeah that's tremendous um so thrilled for you thanks for the advice and the insight there I, Fingers crossed. I hope they yeah. like me enough. So we'll see. We'll see next month how I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's that'll be your next report. So uh, <laughs> yeah. looking forward to hearing it. And looking forward uh, to coming right back after the break here to talk to our guest, Robert Randolph. We're going to take a quick two and two, and we'll be right back here on Break the Business. Don't go anywhere. Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at the BTB Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. You can check us out on Facebook Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, all those streaming services, and all the major podcast platforms, and on Sirius XM, Channel 145, Mondays at 6 p.m. Wherever you're checking us, we're lucky and happy to have you there. I'm Ryan Carella, joined by Elisa Rockdock and what appears to be Elisa Rockdock's cat, yes. who uh, just thrilled to have joining us, mm-hmm. and uh, but... That cat is not the only guest that we have right now. Um, Our guest this week is a renowned pedal steel guitarist and the front man for the four-time Grammy-nominated Robert Randolph and the Family Band. This month, our guest's foundation is presenting Juneteenth Unity Fest, an all-day block party and concert in Brooklyn on June 19th, bringing together diverse voices in commemoration and celebration of Juneteenth and black culture. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.juneteenthunityfest.com and www.robertrandolph.net. We are thrilled to welcome Robert Randolph on to Break the Business. Hello, sir. What's up, everybody? How's it going? It is going so great. What a thrill to be chatting with you. This is so, so cool. Um, One of the things that I wanted to talk with you about first, uh, we were mentioning in the opening segment that one of the things that I wanted to do is because I've, I've loved your music for, you know, as long as you've been making it, you know, I still have the unclassified album just playing on my, mm. uh, on my, uh, my Spotify all the time. But in, in preparation for this interview, I got to read a little bit more about you and sort of your influences. And I was uh, particularly intrigued by the gospel influences in your music, which, you know, are obvious, but I didn't know that they're kind of rooted in the fact that you weren't only, it wasn't just that you were exposed to gospel music throughout your childhood. You were exposed only to gospel music for most of your young life. And you didn't hear any secular music until much later. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? And what was it like for you when you actually started integrating secular elements into your music for the first time and starting putting those albums out? (laughs) Well, actually, you know, I, I used to sneak and listen to hip hop, you know, Biggie and Tupac, ah! and, you know, <laughs> you know, a tribe called Quest and all that. But, you know, um, yeah, but when I started playing until, you know, because I, our church was really a, a sort of a, a chitlin circuit across all of the inner cities, uh, really along the East Coast. So I went to the church here in New Jersey and Newark. Um, which we have other affiliates, Jersey City, Patterson. But we had our own little chitlin circuit. You know, we would go to Atlanta, Perrine, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, you know, Detroit, Chicago. So it was kind of like our own little thing that we had. But the more I started to get into, a, a cousin of mine actually gave me a, a tape of Stevie Ray Vaughan's Greatest Hits. And that was the first time I was about 16 and a half at that point and actually going on 17, you know? (laughs) So that was the first time I actually tried to play something secular at that point. And I could, that kind of just stuck with me. So it was either, I was just playing like Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then I was trying to do a little Anita Baker type songs at that time. (laughs) Uh, just because the way that she melodically sings kind of fits with my slide, at least how I wanted to try to play at the time. Um, yeah, so I just stuck, you know, I stuck on doing that for probably the next three years until I met my first manager. It was got to be about 20 going on 21. He, I, we had sort of had the same conversation. Um, next thing you know, I get home. And there's like a box of a hundred different CDs, right? It's so funny, right? We, they you're getting me. a crash course at this point. Oh yeah, he. Had, I mean, and in that box was like everything from from Zeppelin to Skinner to oh. the Almond Brothers to you know all of the J James Brown and the JBs and P Funk. It was literally just everything. The band. Um, you know, so many. So it took me even still to this day because you know what's funny about music is you kind of fall in love with a record sort of every year. So that was sort of the thing, you know, that 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 
that was sort of like my journey, you know, and it still is because I'm still learning. I just learned about bad company probably about two, three years ago. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like all the Gen Zers who are just discovering Kate Bush for the first time. Yeah. yeah like, you're yeah. trying to go around to all your friends right now and be like, you heard this group bad company? And they're like, yes, Robert, so. yes, we have. But you, I mean, you, go ahead. I was going to say, you mentioned P Funk, but I see that you have an upcoming show with George Clinton. And I'm just thinking, how wild is that? That now you're sharing a stage with with one of those folks that showed up in that box of CDs. What was, what was even, even more funny than that is George Clinton and, and uh, Gary Scheider and all those guys grew up with my mother in Plainfield, New Jersey. So they all grew up as kids together. Um, and some way, somehow we related to Gary Scheider, like one of my mom's older cousins was married to him. I, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's wild, and now y'all get to play together. Just in case so you don't cool. know who Gary Scheider is, he's the one that wears the pamper, right? <laughs> the, yeah. the, the big diaper. <laughs> the funky singing guitar player that wears a diaper. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was that connection between all of us and musically, and, and, and it is kind of sort of full circle of life and music and funk and inspiration to not only be playing a show with George Clinton that I get to actually talk to him and get advice and what and what not to do you know <laughs> that's that's great i'd love to talk to you a little bit about the pedal steel guitar because yeah. it is a i mean i don't i don't listen to a lot of country music i listen to a little bit and so i don't get exposed to that instrument a lot outside of listening to your music just in my common diet of listening and i love the sound of it i just it's it's distinctive you know when you hear a pedal steel guitar on a record and it just it's it really it just it, it fills you up it's so so great and i've always wondered and maybe you can kind of help me with this why aren't we seeing this instrument more in in mainstream genres in rock and soul like are, are there any pedal steel guitar players in your genre that you're like this person should have mainstream success more people should know about them I mean, there's a pedal steel player named Paul Franklin, who's like one of the great guys. I mean, he's mainly known for country music and or playing with, you know, um, many different great folk writers, songwriters and singers. But, um, you know, I guess it's only me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, there, there's some other young kids now that's coming along playing uh, there's a great band of a guy, the band called Cadillac three. They have a great lap steel player. It's like a three piece and they get down and dirty kind of, it's like, it's like, it's almost like a Southern hip funk rock or something, you know? So, what got you into it as opposed to like the guitar that you put around your neck? Well, our <laughs> church, my church organization was, is, is known for that. Right. So, in the early 1930s, there was a guy named Willie Easton that came back from the war from my ch that was a part of our early church organization called the House of God in Florida. And he's basically started because at that time, the churches couldn't afford organs and pianos. So it was a very like, you know, early Pentecostal gospel movement. So he started this style of playing, which then led to here we are today, right? It it's basically the the hidden story of American music that's been well documented in the last twenty five years or so. Um, the the now the story is into the the national the, the Smithsonian African American Museum because there's been this you know we've sort of like been this hidden sort of Buena Vista Social Club type of. Mm. Uh, mm music that's been going on and it's like not in the country this is all in the damn hood everywhere you could think of right so everybody hear me playing they go like man where you from man you must be from man the backwoods of louisiana man i'm from bruh i'm from north man the Brooks. jersey <laughs> you from jersey you know <laughs> and it's funny because a lot of my friends will see me today if i run into them or somebody i've seen they're like Man, we used to tease you, man. Guess it because they used to like yell up. You know, I, I had a house on the corner, and we were growing up, and they were always like yell up, like, "Yo, man, 
Quit playing that country ass guitar, man. Get your ass outside, man. <laughs> yeah. What the hell are you doing, man? Come on outside and play with us. And then you hear me in there. Ring, ring, ring. Yeah. Uh, you know what I think pedal steel needs, Elisa, and I think you you can attest to this, like because oh, you're as addicted to this platform as I am. We need like one kid to just become the pedal steel guitar person on TikTok. Ah. That's gonna do it, right? Hey, listen, I'm already on to that boy. Yeah? Yeah, I'm working on some type of thing like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm no kid, but you know. You know, no, a little, but uh, a little, I'll, a I'll follow you bit. right now. I did not know you were on TikTok. Real quick. Yeah. Actually, no, I'm not, but I'm working on this idea. So, okay. Oh, I mean, I have. You're going to leave us hanging? TikTok. Come on. Keep us updated. You, you, no, nah, I ain't going to tell y'all because somebody's going to steal my idea, man. No. Not y'all, but come on, man. Somebody's going to see this and they're going to be taking my idea. And we're all friends. It's just it's just you, me, Elisa, and the satellite radio audience. We're just, we're just, we're, just, we're all friends here, man. Tell hey. us about your cool TikTok plan. Hey, hey, that's what I thought about some other ideas I had, man. Just like, oh. hey, man, it's, it's just me and you, man. And next thing you know, it's, it's uh, uh-huh. hey, man, isn't that my yeah. idea, man? Hey, man, did we discuss yeah. that? It's probably not the first time he's been told that by a lawyer. Oh, yeah, just between you and me. You can trust me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. yeah it's between us, man. You See, know. Robert's been around the block too many times. He knows yeah, that. Man. I can understand. Um, please. But you can look for it. You know, I'm actually yeah. off. I don't even know how to actually log on to TikTok. So I have somebody else working on to it. Seems yeah, a little. You got someone for that. Look. Yeah, you you need a TikTok lesson. The person right above me in the box oh, above God, me, that's no. who you got to talk to. She's oh. the TikToker. Okay, uh, she'll we, get you set up. No, no I am. I am set up, and let's work on this thing. And I got to get it together. Okay, I mean, I'm I am also probably way too ancient to be on that app, but let's go. Uh, <laughs> trying to get you some TikTok videos with Robert Randolph, at least. Yeah. <laughs> let's play ball here. Um, if you could, Robert, please tell us about your upcoming concert event, Juneteenth Unity Fest in Brooklyn, June 19th. So, so cool. Glad you were finally able to bring this event into the real world for the first time. Uh, what inspired you to set up this uh, particularly awesome looking event? Uh, I guess, you know, as we were coming off of the, you know, when the world was shut down and we were all confined to our couches and phones and you know, and as we actually came from coming off of the George Floyd murdering and and people forget at that time, like, like right before that, like nobody like you were told to not even go outside and breathe the air. Right. We would like it. So nobody was outside. Everybody had these curfews like you could only go and take a walk and you have to be home by 5 p.m. Right. It's something like that. And after that whole thing happened. Right. And the world saw it. Then the world took to the streets. So we went from that into sort of the the sort of first official social media craze of finding out about Juneteenth. So there was all these corporations and then you had like many white people like kind of going, how do we support? It's Juneteenth. I don't know what it is. Well, let's just go support black businesses. <laughs> right. So, and you have many corporations writing big checks to a lot of different uh, organizations and so forth. So I just, when I saw the overwhelming support of the world finally trying to come together and being that Juneteenth was really widely always celebrated in the state of Texas, that there was just this more, uh, this feeling that the world sort of the country really just sort of had enough and everybody just wanted to get together and try to enjoy what would be a holiday, which is now an official holiday, right. For African-Americans. See, people forget we don't have a holiday, right. I mean, we, you know, you got everybody else's holiday. We support Cinco de Mayo and, and right. And you go to St. And you do all of that, and then it's like, hey man, I thought man, Martin Luther King Day was your holiday. It's like, no, it's Martin Luther King Day. It's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> Name's right on there. <laughs> yeah, it's just MLK Day. <laughs> right? It's he was assassinated, right? And it's like it's got nothing to do with me <laughs> in our culture and history. So, so on this day, we now get to not only you know celebrate 
and talk about our history and all the many different hidden cultures and stories that we've been through for the three, 400 years we've been here, right? That we actually could celebrate. And not only that, I had a foundation and I saw how many people had been working in these. I'm sure you guys know somebody in your home neighborhood that has a grassroots organization that's been looking to seek for help. So uh, largely the idea was to, to be able to align and give the sort of grassroots found organizations a platform to be able to align them with many donors, uh, to be able to get some spotlight shed on them. And we've done that, especially the first year for our virtual event, there were so many people that were aligned with an organization called Heal America, then another organization we had now Rogers uh, Family Foundation, Jimin Hatsu, the great actor, Usher's New Look Foundation, the Amazon Foundation. So all of these different people became connected from the first year. And as we're doing it this year, as there are many Juneteenth celebrations happening around the country, and, and trust me, many of them have like different themes and, you know, some of them, some of them will confuse you, to be honest with you. <laughs> but we wanted to be able to have a a real celebration, and and it not only just have a celebration to to have ours be very different with a a gospel inspirational themed celebration at Prospect Park, as well as a house music, old school hip hop R and B uh, block party feel that's happening under the bridge with DJ Spinner and a cast of other people, Josh Milan. And it's going to be, it's going to be an awesome historic day. You know, we got Ty Tribbett performing. We got the great Israel Holden. We got the legend, Miss Deborah Cox. We got another great young artist, Molly Music. And it's going to be the coming out party for Juneteenth Unity Fest live at Prospect Park, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God. I, I, I love it. And, and you can check out more by visiting Juneteenth unity com. And by the way, that is how you have to refer to Deborah Cox in, in, in any yes. capacity. You have to say the full name, the legend yeah. Ms. Deborah Cox. Like yeah, anything else is unacceptable. I tried that love thing for the Right. Nobody's supposed to be here. Nobody. Hey, ain't that something? <laughs> Nobody's supposed to be here. Nobody's supposed to be here. Oh, man. man. And see, um, that was funny. It's like, see, those were the type of songs I used to sneak and try to play on my guitar yeah. when I was young, right? Yeah. You know, you back in the day, you're a teenager and you like, you get some girl you like, and you're like, hey, baby, watch me play this song, man. <laughs> I got to hear, I got to hear more about this. Player, it works. Yeah. <laughs> There you hey, go. Hey, people forget about those days when you actually used to have to talk on the phone and you fall asleep and you're like, no, babe, you hang up. <laughs> hey, you're like, wait, before I hang up, let's listen to my favorite song. Okay, yeah, sing it to me, baby. Play it for me, Robert. Put the phone Remember on the that speaker, day? yeah. <laughs> no, oh, you hang goodness. up first. I get, No, you hang up first. You hang up first. No. Right. I can't tell you what an honor it is to like be on the receiving end of like Robert Randolph as a like a 13 year old pitching woo, <laughs> but like having to keep it muffled so that like the people in his house doesn't know, don't know that he's like singing secular music to uh, whoever right, he's talking to, to on the other end. We, I, oh. I never forget, man. My, I got caught listening to the NWA record, my father, like, he must have been standing there and hearing me, like, cursing up a storm. NWA! Okay, sorry. I'm not going to interrupt. Please, please keep going. Tell us about this. That was like the devil. All all I remember was him, like, you know, busting through the door with some big, huge thing, like, (laughs) what I tell you about listening to this music in my house? (laughs) 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 To, To be fair, Robert... Like if you're in a no secular music household and you're gonna break the rule, like you gotta break the rule with like with like Richard Marx or something, all right? Like if you're coming at him with NWA, which one was Richard Marx that had that? 
Thing I Richard Marsh is great. Man. I know a song you talk about, man. He had great artists. <laughs> I mean, like, just like, don't be too mad, Dad. It's just Pat Boone. No, you yeah. <laughs> like, you're going on with NWA. Like, of NWA. I mean, might as well. Like, I was allowed right. to listen to secular music growing up, and if I was playing NWA, I'd get in trouble. <laughs> That's what's so funny about today. Like, we all, as we're older. We sort of get into these things like, I can't believe these kids listen to this stuff today. And it's oh like, man, gosh. I tell people, I'm like, man, do y'all realize what, I mean, at that time, what Foxy, between Foxy Brown and NWA, <laughs> like, what are we talking about, man? You know, oh, man. like that was in Trina, Trina, Foxy Brown, Luke, and NWA. Like that was like. Yeah. They were like, boy, you get a boy. Yeah, your we, grandmother coming in with we a went to board. middle school together in Miami. Oh, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're familiar with, with, with Trina's handiwork. <laughs> y'all, remember, y'all remember that stuff, boy. <laughs> boy, the world wasn't ready for that, boy, because it was all just sort of, <laughs> you know, people were still listening to Luther and, and, and Freddie Jackson and all of that coming off of smooth jazz and R&B and hip, early hip hop with like, you know, self-destruction. And then Trina like, you don't know that, ho. That's not the thing like me. That's not the thing like me. Oh. Remember that? Oh, man. You get a boy. You better not go. You boy, you really get caught, boy. <laughs> See, you know it's gonna be the Miami music getting Robert Randolph in trouble, yeah. of course. Yeah. Oh man, this is yeah, man. <laughs> I can't keep it wild. Face. It was wild days, man. But I'm I'm really excited. Just see all of these different stories, and co- I mean, people forget as African Americans, like we, like we've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And and I remember, it's funny because a cousin of mine has all of his school grammar school tech and high school textbooks right and at no point in time like his history books taught him about his, our own culture right it's kind of like frederick Douglass, and just keep talking about rosa parks and dr king and right and it's kind of like man what, what happened between like 1889 and you know 1955 you know yeah it's kind of like nothing happened oh we were just stupid dumb people and you forget about like you know all of these stories of the black farmers the black cowboys you know all of the different not just Tulsa I mean we had like three other thriving communities thriving cities I mean right here in New York Central Park had the community you people like the stories of the black renaissance in Harlem right and and it's just all of these things that we as African-Americans, descendants of slaves in this country, many of us don't even know, right? I've learned so much just from planning these, these, these two, last year, the virtual event, and this year, the Juneteenth live event from all the different celebrities. Because don't forget, everybody's family is from some part of the country, right? That's all connected. And I tell people this, I say, listen, my name is Robert Randolph. My family comes from the Randolph Plantation, which is now Richmond, Virginia, right? We've got a whole tree. Many of my my grandfather's brothers, sisters, his uncles and aunts are very, very, very light, (laughs) right? So... So when you start following, where did these guys go? Who were they, right? My great-grandmother lived to be 99. She died in 1999. And she would tell us all of these stories, how she didn't even know what they were doing. You know, her mom would just tell them, y'all come out here and help me work. And mom, what are we going to eat for dinner? I don't know. Everybody shared the same plate. Didn't know that they were on a plantation still. <laughs> wow. Down so, in Florida. So when you talk about Unity Fest being a a celebration of, you know, bringing together diverse boy, voices celebrating black culture, is part of the mission of this event and and the work that you're doing to make sure that these stories get told, to make sure that this gap in our history books where we're not acknowledging black culture and black advancement to finally start acknowledging it? Well, yeah, I mean, because just think about this, right? You, you, you only learn, you really only learn about other people's cultures and history through some holiday, right? And it's like, 
I have Jewish neighbors, right? And then let's say like I'm going out somewhere and they're like, I'm like, hey man, what are you doing, man? Don't you supposed to be at work today? They go, oh no, man, it's Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. And you start going, well, what's that, man? They go, well, here's what we do on our holiday and here's what it is, right? And, or you have, you know, like I said, St. Patty's Day. Like, hey man, what are you guys doing, man? Yeah, you know, hey man, well, here's what it's about. How else would we know, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, how else would we know what Mardi Gras means, right? What, I mean, right? So it is a time at every holiday is a time of education and celebration. So we're going to act like fools on Juneteenth. We're going to get <laughs> down just like all of the Irish people do. And they bar hopping in 90 bar. Robert, come down, man. We are at, we are at our 20th bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, bro, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Y'all start drinking already. Yeah, man, we're already at so-and-so, man. We on North... I mean, we're on Third Street in Manhattan, man. Come on, man. Like, damn, bro. I'm tired, man. <laughs> Shut up and come on and celebrate with us Irish people. All right, man. Cool. <laughs> so that's what we want everybody to do on Juneteenth. We want everybody to enjoy themselves, enjoy the holidays, learn about some new organizations you can support. Uh, one organization we're working with that I'm really fond of is it's an organization called the Cool Kids Fund who uh, they're a great organization that's focused on educating over a million kids with financial literacy, right? Underprivileged kids, things that normally you would have somebody tell you, you got to take out a $60,000 college loan to go to business school to learn. Like you have that organization uh, who we've partnered with uh, teaching kids, you know, 10, 11, 12 year olds, as well as adults, just all these different things about stock market investments, IRAs, uh, uh, NFTs, everything that you could think of and um, different ways to invest your money. Hey, you can buy real estate at the age of 13. Here's how you do it, right? So, I mean, all of these different things are, are important for us, for our communities, for our partners, for our donors, for our friends, to come and celebrate, you know, because That's, don't forget too, right? I mean, people are like, oh man, you got black history. We're like, man, it's cold as hell. I know they got no festival on black history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we got outstanding. Yeah, you go into school and you, you know, like, how come we don't have a real holiday that you take off and you get down and it's warm and hot outside and we bar crawl and food and eat and cook like everybody else on a holiday? I mean, I do love the idea of New York in June. I do miss it very, very much. I love the community partnership element of what you're doing with this and just the celebration and this learning that's going to happen. I encourage y'all, check this out. Go to www.juneteenthunityfest.com find out more about this awesome event on june 19th in brooklyn robert before we let you go uh at least actually why don't you ask robert randolph our final oh, question gosh. that we ask every guest yes so every show because the whole point of the show is we like to give indie creators advice do you have any advice for indie creators that can help push them and their careers forward in, what do you mean, like indie music creators or sure. indie? Yeah. Yeah, anything. I would say, you know, never stop looking for inspiration. Uh, always look to be unique in your own ways. Um, and follow your heart, you know. Don't be afraid to have to get criticism from your friends and and not and from your not so close friends, but to follow your heart, follow your passion, because everybody started out as a indie something, indie label, right? People forget Motown was a indie small little label. <laughs> now it's the greatest ever living label to ever produce music, right? And the greatest artists. And, and so I remember, it's funny because I, I'm friends with the Dolans from, and people forget the first cable box was a indie idea, cable vision. Remember you had the little box with the little buttons? Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. Telling on myself how old I am. <laughs> but that was just a little small indie idea, right? And so everything starts off as a small independent idea and who knows where it could be. I remember, I remember my, the first same manager 
who um, who gave me those box of CDs was actually the first guy. He used to tell record labels at that time. He was like, yeah, his music needs to be on Amazon.com. And Amazon, they were like, what? Amazon sells books. Yeah, but it needs to be on that. Hey, man. And then finally, I think two, three years, like, hey, man, you played the Grammys. Your CD went to number 12 on Amazon. Everybody's like, well, what's Amazon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Robert, this has been absolutely tremendous. It's been an honor chatting with you and thank you for all that you do for music and, and for black culture and just so, so great. Please don't be a stranger, man. Anytime you want to come back, we'd love to chat with you some more. Thank you. Yeah, when you make much. those TikToks. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Oh, wow. More. Robert, Robert Randolph, everybody. How about that, Elisa? Oh, that was so much fun. Oh, my God. That was great. And uh, the tremendous guests keep on coming. Next week, we're going to be joined by neoclassical piano prodigy Black Bach. Excited for that discussion. Uh, Amazing piano player. Played with Rihanna recently. So, so great. And just, I mean, the guest list for this show, like much how... Much how our friend Robert Randolph is going to keep mum his TikTok <laughs> plans that we're all just waiting yes, for with bated breath. Yes. I mm-hmm. can't give away all the guests that we got coming up for the next couple months, but it's going to be an absolute blast around here. Do not go anywhere. Elisa, it's been a treat hanging out with you this week. It's always a pleasure. Our thanks to producer Lauren as well for uh, keeping Robert Randolph on the rails there and making sure he could get set up. <laughs> And uh, thanks to Zach Sloan, who I know has been hanging out in the green room and we didn't bring him in. And I'm sure he's upset about that because he would have loved. There he is. Hey, Zach. Um, Sure. would have loved to talk to Robert Randolph. (laughs) And my thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. It's been awesome. We'll see you next week. Break the business.